Hello, my good friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Nitjabar, and uh, this is The Informed Catholic Podcast. So if you like uh, this channel, please subscribe and share. I would greatly appreciate it. And I know I'm a little behind, uh, so we're going to do the readings uh, for this episode. We're going to focus on the Ascension. And um, we're going to try to approach it a little bit more with a, a catechesis approach. So, um, let's start. I know I usually begin with the... Uh, you know, act of contrition. So we're going to do that. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray with me and for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son. Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world. Receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and the glory of God the Father. Amen. So once again, uh, please subscribe and share to the podcast. Um, it would be a great help. Um, and I hope you like it. So let's begin. All right. The first reading is the opening from the uh, the Acts of the Apostles, which is technically uh, part two, volume two of Luke's work. Um, first is the Gospel of Luke, and which was basically uh, his account. Um, mainly, I think the best way to say it is that yes. It is accurate. It follows the synoptic gospel plot, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I think it's safe to say it definitely follows um, the theology mostly from St. Paul's perspective. Um, but also... It follows, I, th I think you can say, the, the spiritual, spiritual, I think, viewpoint. Because Paul obviously did not meet our Lord in person. Uh, you know, he showed up many years later. But I think we definitely can say that Luke's uh, account is more Marian. Because definitely he knew the our blessed lady, he definitely um, spoke to her personally. If not, he definitely got um, uh, the accounts we could say from people who knew her. Um, it's definitely let's say a very much Marian approach. I mean the accounts that. When he says he pondered, I mean, I mean, she pondered and kept all these things in her heart is very Marian. You know, the 
Annunciation, the um, visitation to St. Elizabeth. And I would say most definitely that um, St. Luke got his uh, account of the birth of John the Baptist. I'm going to safely say with certainty that he got it from Our Lady, from the Blessed Virgin Mary, just as he got the account of the shepherds, the apparition of the of the angels to the shepherds, um, and the the finding in the temple after three days, uh, the account with Simeon and Anna in the temple, is definitely all from Our Lady, and it's, you know, it's safe to say, and one of the things you're going to have to say that I think, because we know that he also has the, the, um, the temptation of the desert, and one of the interesting things is, is that unlike Matthew, Matthew has the first temptation, which has turned the uh, stone into bread, the account of 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 him jumping the, the devil trying to tempt our Lord to, to jump off the temple, the uh, the temple um, towers or even the temple itself, to you know to prove that he's the Messiah, and then the account of I will give you all the kingdoms of the world if you would bow down and worship me. Luke has the last two in reverse. And often people wonder why does he have that differently than Matthew, the way Matthew has them in those particular order. I, I, if you ask me, I, I think Matthew has it in the order that it should be, but I think from Luke, it definitely proves one thing. He definitely got it. And he might have heard it differently, basically. And did he was he aware of Matthew? Who knows? Maybe not, because he doesn't have the Sermon on the Mountain. He doesn't have the Sermon on the Mountain, and he doesn't have the Slaughter of the Innocents. Now, does that mean he chose to leave those out? I don't think so. I think he heard it. And I think he did the investigation according to the way he heard these accounts. And it, I think in many cases, it proves the sincerity of his work. Because if he had everything exactly like Matthew, then what's the point? Why copy Matthew? And he decided to, according to his um his account was he aware of it? I know scholars like to argue of the of a of a particular gospel source. I'm not going to go into that. I believe that Saint Luke wrote it. I believe Matthew wrote his gospel, and I believe Mark's accounts come mostly from Saint Peter. I believe each one, each each individual's work, is sincere according to the way the Holy Spirit wanted to be written. Um, they say when police officers do an investigation, and I, my brother is a police officer, and I've heard this a number of times from eyewitnesses, and uh, I mean from cops. You know, there was a, if you hear, if you interview people at the scene of a crime, and everybody gives you the same word for word um, account. That's a red light for a police officer that something fishy is going on here. You know that people are telling you the truth who are eyewitnesses because each one will focus on a detail more um, from their perspective, from their saying, from, from a different angle 
you know, one person will remember one detail, another person will remember another detail, a third person, a fourth person will remember a different detail from a different angle. A police officer then takes all these eyewitness accounts and he'll be able to solve the crime from every pair, every eyewitness's angle. That's more sincere. So that's why I say um, Luke's gospel is told from a t- particular vantage point, a particular angle. And therefore it's true. Um, Matthew, I mean Mark, told tells you the story, the encounter with Jesus from the moment that St. Peter and Andrew got to know him as a man. They didn't know him from childhood. So Matthew, I mean, so Mark's account is from the vantage point of when they got to know him. All the the other stuff about his childhood Obviously, Matthew wanted to go further back, but he went back and he got the accounts from a different angle and he wrote it from a different angle. He doesn't have the Magnificat. He doesn't have the prayer of Zechariah. He doesn't have the visitation to visit so to uh, Elizabeth. He doesn't have um, the encounter of the shepherds with the angels. He doesn't have the account of Anna and Simeon. He doesn't have the the, the Passover if uh, the three days when he was lost. He focused on it, and he focused on it from a different angle. Interesting, and I think it makes sense. Now, John's Gospel is sort of like behind the scenes, you know, sort of, you know, again from an inner circle, and it's interesting. It also focuses on Jesus from adulthood, from the baptism, similar to Mark, because that's when John and Philip, the the Apostle John and all the others, they met him. And then he focuses on the incarnation of Jesus being God from a more contemplative, meditative approach. He doesn't bother to go back to the childhood because it's already been done. He, he most likely was definitely aware of at least one of the Gospels, if not all three synoptic Gospels. Very interesting. So this is how I think we have to, I think, get rid of all these, these scholars who have tainted us with this modernist... Um, a very cynical and I think destructive you know, you know like these these Jesus seminar no one talks about them anymore which is so beautiful so good because you know that they fell on the wayside nobody cares anymore they've done their damage and, and I pray to God that you know, I know that there's always going to be some new approach, but no one cares anymore. They've done it. They destroyed a lot of people's faith. They're, 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 they were destructive. You know, and they've done it. And now nobody talks about them anymore. Nobody cares to hear from them anymore. Um, of course, I don't have cable, so I don't have the so-called history channel. And it's over. Nobody cares. Goodbye. And now I think people can approach the Gospels from the perspective of faith, from the perspective of getting to know Jesus, the real Jesus Christ, the real historical Jesus, and read them for themselves. You know, today I went to uh, 14th Street Union Square and... And uh, 
I haven't been there in a while. Um, and as I was walking, heading towards a Barnes, the Barnes and Noble there, there were these um, Mennonite uh, missionaries. They were young people, young missionaries from the Mennonite community. And, you know, they were dressed in, they were young women were dressed in their traditional conservative, very country clothes with the, the interesting caps on their head. And they were very, you know, very, very pretty and very uh, modest and very lovely young people. They were passing out flyers uh, to read. And I thought that was really beautiful. That was really good about the truth about God. Some people took it. Some people didn't. Some people didn't care. I mean, you're at 14th Street, Union Square. Talk about as liberal. There were gay, gay pride flags everywhere for Pride Month. It's interesting that they get the pride. They get a whole month. And uh, heterosexuals and traditional marriage doesn't even get one day. <laughs> People who who are married for 40, 50 years don't even, don't even get one day. I mean, they celebrate their anniversary. But you have to get one. A whole month for sodomy, a whole month for for uh, this alternative sexual lifestyle, and 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 the heterosexual community, the nuclear family, the traditional marriage doesn't even get one month, one month by the state, <laughs> by the secular culture. It's it's so hilarious and so pathetic and ridiculous. And, you know, I mean, you get all these different groups. You got Asian Culture Month. You got Latino Month. You got Black History Month. You got, um, uh, oh my goodness, who knows? Who knows? Um, and it's it's just it's just nonsense. I think it shows. Um. How twisted and pathetic our culture has become. It's falling apart. And we, we're doing it. We're doing it. You can't, you know, you can talk about your sexuality, but you can't talk about God. You can't talk about faith. You can't be, you can't, you can't be, uh, you can't be proud proud Christian. You can't be a proud conservative. You can't be, you know, that's too misogynistic. It's oppressive. You can't talk about truth uh, because it's offensive. There was this thing with uh, Matt Walsh and he's talking to this, uh, this professor and he'd, he, um, he got very, very, um, frazzled let's put it that way because this he didn't like that Matt Walsh was bringing up truth and he basically tried to accuse Matt Walsh of being transphobic and he didn't like this whole probing into truth and he ended I'm guessing he ended the debate he didn't want to hear it this is a professor. Okay, this is a professor. A college, a university professor. And he didn't and he didn't like he didn't like being being challenged. Something is absolutely wrong with this culture, and we know it. All right, I know I've talked long enough. Let's begin with the reading. Sorry about that, but um I felt that the, these things really have been really bothering me because everything is so upside down. So, okay, let's begin with the reading. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. In the first book, Theophilus, I, de I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them by many proofs after he had suffered, appearing to them during the forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
while meeting with them. He enjoined them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, about which you have heard me speak. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. When they had gathered together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He answered them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has established by his own authority, but you will receive power when the, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he has said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him from their sight while they were looking intently at the sky as he was going. Suddenly, two men dressed in white garments stood beside them. They said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking at the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will return in the same way as you have seen him going into heaven. Okay. All right, that's it there. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so now we go to Psalm 47, and the response is, God mounts his throne to shouts of joy, a blare of trumpets for the Lord. God mounts his throne for, to shouts of joy, a blare of trumpets for the Lord. Hallelujah. All you peoples, clap your hands, shout to God with cries of gladness for the Lord, the Most High, the awesome is the great king over all the earth. God mounts his throne to shouts of joy, a blare of trumpets for the Lord. Alleluia. God mounts his throne amid shouts of joy. The Lord amid, amid trumpets, trumpet blasts. Sing praise to God. Sing praise. Sing praise to our king. Sing praise. God mounts his throne to shouts of joy, a blare of trumpets for the Lord. Alleluia. For king, for king of all the earth is God. Sing hymns of praise. God reigns over the nations. God sits upon his holy throne. God mounts his throne to shouts of joy, a blare of trumpets for the Lord. Alleluia. All right, so we're going to move into the uh, second reading, which is from Ephesians, Paul's letter. Christ has uh, entered into his heaven. Uh, Christ has entered into heaven itself. Uh, chapter 1, verse 17 to 23, a reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. May the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation resulting in knowledge of him. May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his, to, to his call. What are the riches of glory in his, in his inheritance among the holy ones? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power? For us who believe in accord with the exercise of his great might, which he worked in Christ, raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the, in the heavens, far above every principality, authority, power, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also into the one to come. And he puts all things beneath his feet and give him and gave him as head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in, in every way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. And the alternative second reading 
the alternative second reading is going to be from uh, the letter to the Hebrews, uh, traditionally by St. Paul, chapter 9, verse 24, 28, uh, and chapter 10, verse 19 to 23. They combine a little bit those two. So Christ has entered into heaven itself. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Christ did not enter into a sanctuary made by hands, a copy of the true one, but heaven itself, that he might now appear before God on our behalf, not that he might offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters each year into the sanctuary with blood that is not his own. If that were so, he would have had to suffer repeatedly from the foundation of the world. But now, once for all, he has appeared at the end of of the ages to take away sin by his sacrifice, just as it, just as it, it is appointed that men and women die once, and after this the judgment. So also Christ offered once to take away the sins of many will appear a second time, not to take away sin, but to bring salvation to those who eagerly await him. Therefore, brothers, since through the blood of Jesus we have confidence of entrance into the sanctuary by the new and living way, he opened for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we haven't we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us approach with a sincere heart and in absolute trust with our hearts, sprinkled clean from evil, from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold unwaveringly to our confession that gives us hope, for he who made the promise is trustworthy. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia. Go and te- teach all nations, says the Lord. I am with you always until the end of the world. Alleluia, alleluia. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. And the reading is from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 24, verse 46 to 53. As he blessed them, he was taken up to heaven. Jesus said to his disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead, and on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached. Let me start over again, sorry. Jesus said to his disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead, and on the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all the nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, raised his hands, and blessed them. As he blessed them, he parted from them, and was taken up to heaven. They did him homage, and then returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, praising God. The Gospel of the Lord praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, the the first first reading is from the book of Acts, right? It's Luke, uh, Luke's work. It's part two of Luke's gospel. Technically, it's volume two. And interesting, he here he addresses someone by the name of Theophilus. We heard of this name 
if we go back to reading the first part of Gospel of Luke, Theophilus, he refers to him as most excellent uh, Theophilus. It basically, we know it's a real person because the fact that he refers to him as most excellent Theophilus is he's addressing an individual because right in the beginning of his book of uh, Luke, of the gospel, he addresses the, this person. And he tells him, says, I've done my research uh, accordingly, most excellent Theophilus. And then here he mentions the name again. So the name actually, it's a very interesting name. It actually means friend of God. It actually can be also, I think, a plural reference of friends of God. So this is obviously someone, the head of a, of a Christian community, uh, and also, uh, I would probably have to say he's, um, possibly could have been a bishop, an early bishop who wanted Luke to make an account of, of the events. And, uh, you know, Luke's gospel is very interesting because it actually, um, it's very Marian, it's very Marian in a sense, because, the the first part, everything we have in it, uh, in his gospel, he begins with the the uh, the family, the mother and father of Saint John the Baptist, which all this had to have to come from the blessed our blessed Lady, the blessed Mother of our Lord, and then you have much of these events. Uh, about her, her, you know, Zacharias uh, uh, being visited by Gabriel, then Mary being visited by uh, by Gabriel, then Mary visiting uh, Elizabeth, um, then the uh, the birth of our Lord in in Bethlehem, and then uh, Simeon and Anna, right, and then uh, <clears throat> you have also. The Canticle of Zechariah, which may, which obviously came from the Blessed Mother, and then you have the Magnificat, which comes from the Blessed Mother. I mean, it's you know the the circumcision of John the Baptist, the finding of Jesus in the temple, right? All that is there. All that is in Luke, um, which is pretty good darn research when you think about it, a, a very good investigation. Matthew focuses on it a little bit differently. He doesn't have these things. It's interesting, like, he doesn't have them, and this always makes people question. Why doesn't Matthew not write about the Magnificat? Why doesn't Matthew not write about Gabriel visiting Mary? Why does he not write all these things? And, you know, they're probably good questions. It's not like he couldn't, he couldn't have done that. It probably, I would have to say, the one person we have to remember that is guiding these these men is, is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And I don't know the answers to that. I don't think it's necessary to ask these things. I think what's important is, is that each one is catered to a particular the theology. You know, each one's catered to a particular theology. You know, it's like family members when they tell stories uh, about a family history. Always some family member tells one particular version of an event, right? And they leave out something. And another family member tells of uh, the, the same event, but they add a little something. I guess you can say it makes it more real. It, you know, my brother is a police officer, and and uh, and this is something a lot of police officers say when they investigate an incident. Everyone tells, the cops always in, uh, interview the eyewitnesses. And eyewitnesses always focus on 
one particular detail that they saw from their angle and another uh, person from across the street looking at the same thing but doesn't see it from their angle the same way but they witness something from their angle so what basically cops look for they look for the genuineness of the of of the eyewitness if every eyewitness tells you something exactly word for word that only brings a red flag up for the police officer makes sense right it does and i guess you can say from from this particular angle yeah Maybe Matthew just focused on it. He was more focused on the teachings. If you notice, Matthew has all the entire, I mean, he has a well-detailed Sermon on the Mountain. Luke has the Sermon on the Mountain, but not as detailed as Matthew. And, you know, one could say Luke actually has more encounters with women Than Matthew does. Sometimes the teachings are there, but not who they're giving him, not not who Jesus is giving him to. So you see what I'm saying. And also, Jesus probably did the Sermon on the Mountain more than once. You know, and as a teacher, depending on the audience, he probably edited a little bit, did a little editing. So that's another thing Jesus would have done. So you got that makes it more genuine in a sense. That why. Luke is different than the other two synoptic gospels. But also I think what's important is I think these days I find that's very important about studying the gospels is that I remember years and years and years ago and this is probably before my conversion I remember a PBS uh, Channel 13 program and it was called Jesus of um, sorry the historical uh, no it was called when Jesus became Christ this was a very liberal liberal very liberal liberal uh, documentary or not documentary but uh, it was very it was, it was an attack against Christianity it was basically a group called the Jesus Seminar. And they gotten quite a lot of attention those days. Quite a lot of attention. And I this is long long before I became Catholic. When I became Catholic, I started learning about this group and it was called uh they basically called it the historical critical method. I learned later on about it. It didn't stop me from converting. But definitely they were very popular for a long time. Nowadays, you hardly hear anything about them. And I'm so happy about that because they've done a lot of damage, a lot of damage to the Christian faith. And I don't think anyone cares to, cares about them anymore. Anybody cares about their 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 approach. I think now it hasn't stopped anybody from believing in the Christian faith. Although, unfortunately, the church, I think, has suffered, but not from the same thing. It suffered not from belief in Christ. It suffered a moral crisis, which a moral credibility, a moral credibility and this is due to the sexual abuse crisis, which is something we have to focus on here. So their mission, their mission here, the apostles, is to, one, to take the instruction on the Christian faith, on the new covenant, which is the covenant that will replace the rituals of the old. All the rituals of the old covenant, the, the, the temple rituals, the, um, the sacrifice of animals, of bulls and goats and sheep and doves, 
which was through the which all those animal animal sacrifices were were done to were done basically pointing to they were all pointing to uh the sacrifice of the messiah the messiah himself who will who will uh make the ultimate sacrifice you know he he will his blood will be okay the the bull represented the priest uh the priestly sacrifice basically and uh the as you can see like the um the the goats and the lambs and the sheep all of them represented some uh some blood sacrifice for sin and and then you got the dubs, which is a poor man's sacrifice. And then, of course, then you have all the ritual washing. And you have the clean and unclean, uh, the kosher laws and everything. But then, then here's the thing. There's a certain structure. There's also inside the temple. And this is something that priests have to do every seven days. There's the altar of the bread of presence with wine every sabbath all right there's 12 uh 12 cakes of bread and the priests the uh the, the sons of aaron must eat this bread every seven days there's each bread for each tribe each loaf and this is something that was done that was placed right in the uh, the holy of, between the holy of holies and the holy and the priests have to eat this it was on a golden altar um made of wood made of the same wood that the ark of the covenants made made from and the priests would line up and they would eat this now when the when the when Jesus himself finished uh, performed his sacrifice on the cross, and this is something that Fulton Sheen says in his book, uh, "The Day Christ Died." I mean, um, uh, the you know his book, uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, the Christ. Uh, he says that if Jesus died in Jerusalem, it would be just for the Jewish people. But he died outside of the walls, and his this was basically done so he could be the sacrifice for all. See, this is why there's no what you call just Jerusalem being the central place. It is the central place, but it's also the 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 salvation has to go go out to all the nations. And well, he had to be condemned by both, by the high priesthood and uh, the secular authority, which is uh, Pilate, representing Rome and the world. And this is something that why it had to be done. A lot of, you know, this is this is something that the Jesus seminar can never tell you. Their main focus is they always got to find, they got to nitpick and find contradictions. They got to find something that downplay the uh, the the gospel. They got to find uh, something. Uh, what do you call? Uh, what they call an inaccuracy. They 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 focus on on details that they they want to make more important. They don't, they're not looking at the theology. Thing is, it's not stopping Jewish people from, from converting. Let's put it this way. There's a lot of Messianic Jews who have embraced the gospel. It just has not changed. I think the only failure is, is the fact that there's a serious moral, uh, decay, uh, which you're going to find, I think, unfortunately, in, in some in some churches, Catholic Church, unfortunately, not being an exception at all, because unfortunately, you know, you have a lot of like bishops and cardinals and priests who want to push, who are obsessed with the sexual revolution, 
this whole thing of, of, of LGBT. I mean, it's amazing how all this has gone out of control. But this is something that Paul himself mentioned. He made, he made a reference towards the moral decline. He, he himself made a reference that this is going to happen. doesn't mean the church is going to fall away. It just means that I think there's going to be a change in, in the priesthood. Not it's in its mission, but I think maybe definitely in its moral practice, the there's going to be a serious change. There's, I think, honestly, I'm not worried about the Catholic Church because I know the Catholic Church. I know it's established by Christ, but you got to have a church, and I think we're going to see we're going to see some serious changes coming soon. Uh, these guys are not going to win. They're not going to win at all. They're going. It's going to. It's going to. I think this moral crisis, a good is going to come out of it. It's going to come out of it, and it's going to come out. The church is going to come out stronger. It's going to come out. The priesthood is going to come out stronger. Right now, Christ is permitting this crisis in order. To bring out a better good. A true good. And we're going to see that. It's sad that we have a Pope like Francis. Who. Who was in on it. But. We still got Benedict. We still got Benedict. And. That's something we have to. We have to pay attention to. He's old. He's fragile, but he's still alive. And that means something. You know, um, we'll just have to wait and see what's going to happen. But they have to send um, the mission. They have to be witnesses. In, in When Luke picks up his... his um, his um, reading here, he makes it quite clear. He says that there are going to be witnesses uh, in Ju- in Jerusalem and in uh, Judea and in Samaria. It's very interesting that he keeps mentioning Samaria. And because Samaria, because the Samaritan Jews are kind of looked on as uh, heretical and apostate, but not to him. They may be, but they're still uh, they're still parts of Israel, and they are to wit- bring the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay, the gospel has to be preached. Now, you think now in modern times. What part of the world hasn't heard the gospel? Sadly, still, even with all the internet, even with all the internet, even with the the social media networks that we have now, right? There's still people that don't know the gospel. So there's a greater, deeper meaning when it says that witnesses and all the earth has to hear it it's going to have to hear it we still have a mission to preach and teach and um once that happens then that's when our lord will return so souls still have to have to hear about this and i think i think the way you look at it is this way when you have so much moral depravity that we're having now that means people don't know the gospel this the the there's a new form of neo-paganism that's risen a new cult and that means new challenges new witnesses and even within the church I mean, look, there's a lot of, a lot of, I mean, you have to question, do these men even know? Do they really know the gospel? No, they seem to be like, I don't understand why they want to be part of a church 
when they have a world out there where they can live out their, their, their sexual immorality. And that only speaks to the conscience, to their, to their depraved conscience, to their guilty conscience. Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. Paul here in the first um, alternative reading, second reading, there's two alternative readings. I want to focus on both. All right. Um, may the eyes of your hearts be enlightened that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call. What are the riches of the glory in his inheritance among the holy ones? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power for us who believe in accord with the exercise of his great might which he worked in Christ raising him from the dead and sitting seating him at the at his right hand in the heavens far above principality authority power and dominion in every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come he put all things beneath his feet and gave him as head of all, all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So he has to, okay, may the eyes of our hearts, our spiritual eyes, our intellectual eyes, our, uh, our eyes of faith, uh, be enlightened, you know, be opened up by grace that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call. What are the riches of glory in his, in, in his inheritance, the, the, the new world, the new heavens and the new earth, which we hear about in the book of revelation, which we hear about also in the, in the old Testament prophets that Jesus will bring that Jesus that, that God the Father will bring through his son Jesus and also the fact that he sits at the right hand we this is something that goes with the title son of man which is someone who is divine and human who is God and and sits at the right hand uh the right hand of uh you know of God and he receives all authority and power Right, Christ rising from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every principality, authority and power and dominion. Those words are very important. Those words are very, very important. Above every principality, power, authority and dominion. This basically, these are not just words that refer to the physical world but also to the supernatural world, to the cosmic world, to the unseen world. Christ has authority and power. The Father is going to give him all authority and power above everyone. These things are very important. We have to remember them. And then he goes on to say here, this is beautiful. And he put all things beneath his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. We when we receive communion, okay, and we have to, this is something that's also very important because you know the controversy now with uh, the bishop in San Francisco and Nancy Pelosi, but this is also speaks about other, other political, other Catholics who are in the political realm who support immoral things, horrible things that they should not be supporting. Um, they want to have the right to receive Holy Communion. This is basically dangerous. We have to receive Holy Communion with a clean conscience, a clean conscience and a clean heart. If we don't, we got to remember, communion with Christ means in total, complete communion in Christ. This whole thing that this being abused, that the Eucharist is medicine for the sick. It medicine for those who acknowledge their sickness, who acknowledge their moral depravity, who acknowledge their sin and repentance of sin. Everybody doesn't seem to, 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 want to, to want to mention that word. It means the one you have to admit that you 
have sinned. You have to you have to acknowledge your sin and re, and repent of your sin. It doesn't mean that you get to receive communion and still practice your sin. Still, basically, what they're doing is they want to hold Jesus Christ hostage. It's like holding him at gunpoint to the head or twisting his arm. You're going to accept me and I don't have to repent of my sins. You're going to let me receive your body and blood. They don't realize the damage they're doing to themselves when they do not repent of their sin. They're, you know, seriously. Don't. Don't put it above don't put it above the fact that we do damage to ourselves. You have to go to confession. You have to acknowledge your sins. You have to acknowledge you did wrong. This is for the sake your for the sake of your 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 soul. You have to. You can't receive communion and not repent. This is Paul says it. This is why a lot of you get sick. A lot of you are are seriously sick and ill and die. Yeah, you can. That can happen. It may not happen right away. It doesn't happen like, you know, thunder and lightning is not going to come down from heaven. The earth is may not going to open up, but it could. It, God could attack you in ways, you know, God could, could permit evil to happen to you in ways that you do not see. But it could happen in ways that are valuable to you. You know? Political positions for these people is their pagan idol worship. Celebrity worship is pagan, pagan idol, you know, idol worship. You know, your your status quo in society, your political influence in society, is your idol worship. Is your is your pagan totem pole? Okay, your health, your health, your reputation, your your popularity. Is your is your pagan idol? Do not think that you will not be attacked in some way. Do not think that you're not going to lose it. If you did it to yourself, he doesn't do it to you. You chose not to humble yourself. You chose not to repent. Today we live in a society where we, you know, we're not much different than the people in the past. You know, Henry VIII. Refused to repent. He attacked the church. He divorced his wife. He declared his legitimate daughter illegitimate. Right? He he declared that his marriage to his legal wife, Catherine of Aragon, as incest. Because she was married to his brother. Henry was a very sensual man. He was king of England. And he wanted God to bend down to him. He saw his position as king as equal to that of the Pope. All right. One day he was jousting. And he had a horrible accident. Well, it's expected that you're going you're gonna to get knocked off your horse when you joust. You know, you, you put on armor, the other guy wears an armor, you come at him with on a horse, he comes at you from the other direction, you got a big darn spear-like thing. Well, he got knocked down, and he got a horrible splinter right into his thigh. Unfortunately, it never healed properly. Henry always loved to show off his body, his, his his athletic body. He was quite tall for his time in those days. He was above almost like six feet. And he and he loved showing off his legs. He had, you know, according to that time, he was quite, you know, you know, you know quite physically fit. And that leg, that thigh, never healed. It would ulcer up. It would and you know, and then the doctors it would he would be in great pain, and the doctors will have to spear it to burst it, and a lot of you know a lot of ooze and it stunk. That's another thing. It was toxic. It was like strong toxic odor, and he would be in fever. He would be in high fever, and then you know it would look like he was gonna die, and you know it 
he never got healed properly. His physical health was taken away from him. He continued to receive Holy Communion. He continued, he absent, you know, adamant in his, in his sin. He was absent. He, he refused to bend the knee to God. He refused to confess that he was wrong. And he got fat. He couldn't do the things he wanted to do. And he got extremely overweight. And his health continued to get worse. Right? He had gout. And he was no longer the handsome man. But he also, but he was still a lustful person. And he got rid of Anne Boleyn. And then he, again, he declared Elizabeth, who became Elizabeth I, he declared her to be a bastard. And then he married another woman. And then he was more into violence. Suspicion. And then he had a, uh, a, a, he had a younger girl that, had sex with his butler in, in the toilet uh, stall and he got, got rid of her and he killed a lot of other uh, people of his kingdom. What I'm saying is he continued, he continued to receive Holy Communion and he continued with, he continued bringing, bringing judgment upon himself. So yeah, don't, you know, don't, don't think any politician is safe. They're not safe. You know, yes, you can bring judgment upon yourself and a lot of things, a lot of things, the evils can happen. So, yeah. Then going on here, uh, the, the, the alternate reading would be from Hebrews and Paul here. Usually, I, I believe it's Paul. Christ is not enter into a sanctuary made by hands, a copy of the true one, but, um, by hands, but a copy of the true one, but heaven itself. Okay, the, the sanctuary, the temple sanctuary in Jerusalem was a prototype of what is in heaven. The priest on earth does not, you know, has to repeat these rituals every day and certain rituals once a year. And those rituals once a year would be, uh, not with his blood, but the blood of cows and bulls, right? And that is basically inferior. When Jesus comes, he performed a sacrifice by dying once, by being crucified, but also he also performed a, uh, a ritual in heaven. He basically became the ultimate high priest. He became the true high priest. That basically nullifies the high priesthood on earth in the in the Jewish in the the temple cult practice, and this basically he through his own blood, not the blood of bulls, but his own blood, he performed the sacrifice once for all, and in the end he would bring salvation to all. So, yeah, the Hebrews is basically saying <clears throat> that Jesus is really is the ultimate true high priest. He is the Son of Man. And he is the one that makes a sacrifice that is pleasing to the Father. Animal sacrifices were temporary. You know, you, you hear a lot of people, you notice this, a lot of people, they want to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and reopen the temple sacrifice because they don't understand the Eucharist. There's still a lot. There's a lot of Messianic Jews that don't understand the Eucharist. There's a lot of Messianic Jews that are mainly almost really like Baptists. They just don't understand. I think it's because there's their prejudice against Roman Catholicism. And it's true. There is a prejudice against Roman Catholicism, and and I think or against Orthodoxy. They did, they just don't understand. Sadly, this is brought on also by the horrible uh, sexual abuse scandals, which is the failure of the of the clergy. Sadly, but again, some changes are coming, and it's going to be in the it's going to be in the realm of, of Christ. And the Holy Spirit will see it. So, um, gonna end it here. All right. Um, let's say the creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God 
Born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made, and for us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried and rose again on the third day. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. All right. After um, Pentecost, I'm going to try to do a different approach to the podcast. Um, like I said, I want to focus on more on catechesis, uh, more on catechism study. Um, so I'm going to take more time to prepare uh, on some things, basically. I think it's needed. Um, this The approach that we're doing now is great. I still, I'll still do articles, but I'm going to try to uh, be more focused on the topic of catechism, of, you know, reading the scriptures and try to uh, focus on the catechism approach, because I think that's that's really needed right now. Um, yeah, I'll still do, I'll probably, I'll still do the, um, I'm going to try to do more of the Sunday, uh, readings more. Uh, I'll, I'll still do them on Sundays, but I think, um, you know, desperately we need, uh, because a lot of the, with the scandals going on, especially with, like I said, with the stuff about the Holy Communion and abortion and, uh, especially with the stuff going on with the transgenderism, LGBT, it's a serious issue. And I think, uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of our, our uh, brothers and sisters within the church, they're being carried away by it. And, uh, and what's really getting me upset is there's very few of our, uh, of our leaders speaking up. They're leaving a lot of the stuff for, the, for, for lay people. And I think without the leadership, in the front line with us, you know, it's a serious problem. And I think there's a serious crisis within, uh, with, within the priesthood. Anyway, I'm going to try to focus on that. I'm going to focus on catechism and I'm going to focus on trying to focus on these things with the current events. Um, you know, so what's going to leave here right now. And when I get back, I'll probably get back. I'm going to get back with the, the Pentecost. Um, all right. God bless.